0: Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa. On today's show, new Disney trademarks that hint at the names of things to come. Also, Jim talks about the history of Thunder in Paradise, a show we referenced a couple of episodes ago that was recorded in Walt Disney World. Before we start the show, just a quick reminder. If you like this, Jim and I have more exclusive shows over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. Most of those shows have never appeared on iTunes and include hours-long stories but everything from Disney and the 1964 World's Fair to attractions and theme parks that Disney never built to Jim and I walking around the parks talking about their history. Check them out at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. This is our show for the week of October 1st, the 47th anniversary of Walt Disney World opening. Let's bring in a man who's built a replica of the Walt Disney World Preview Center in the woods of New Hampshire. One Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Uh, I got splinters
1: from the balsa wood,
0: It's just scale,
1: but, you know, it's just tough to work with. This
0: isn't your Halloween scarehouse. house?
1: Uh, <laughs> Actually, if you, you look at some of the stuff that never got built at Disney World, ooh, the scary Persian the scares,
0: resort. Ooh. On an upcoming episode, we'll have to hear about your uh, Halloween Horror Nights uh, preview that you got.
1: That was an interesting time, though. Uh, one quick thing to share, we, we finally got to stay in the Aventura Hotel. Aventura, yeah. And got to sit down with one of the managers. And the hotel's only been open for a month at this point, and so... Just said, okay, so you've had a month of guests coming and going inside of the hotel. What have you learned the hard way? And Mm -hmm. this poor woman kind of sighed and grabbed her face and said, you know how you go upstairs and we have decided to make all of our corridors color coordinated. So you get off the elevator and you're either in the green row of the hotel or you're the, the amber or the blue said that was a wonderful idea on paper, which unfortunately we did not take into consideration colorblind guests.
0: Colorblindness. As soon as you said green and red, I was like uh, various shades of gray for a lot of people. Yes.
1: Yeah, and uh, that's the thing. These hallways are really virtually identical, shooting off into the three different directions off of a bank of six elevators, and it's easy to get turned around in the wrong way. So that's something they'll look at when the next rehab
0: on paper that was a great idea on paper was a great idea that's true mm-hmm. all right James uh, I've been exploring uh, the interaction between Disney and the US government mm-hmm. there's some interesting trademark requests that Disney has filed recently that I would like to get your take on if that's okay certainly Are you familiar with the term Sabac? s-a-b-a-c-c why do I know that name no that's a second acronym right it's, uh, it's not an acronym, actually. It's the card game that Han Solo says he won the Millennium Falcon in. Oh, interestingly, no. Interestingly, uh, Disney has recently filed for a trademark on this as a card game. My guess is we will see this either for some sort of holiday present or as something to be sold in Galaxy's Edge. I would say it's the
1: latter, but yes, by God, you got to fill up the bazaar with something to buy.
0: And 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 card games are interesting because you can take them anywhere and play them, right? It's not like uh, it's a unique card game. It uh, it brings the story along. Mm-hmm. I, I can totally see this in a in a gift shop.
1: I wonder if it includes the little wrist thing where you can hide that extra card that you cheat with.
0: <laughs> a little a little uh, elastic band that goes on your wrist. There you go. Here's the uh, here's the other one that I found that was interesting. This is back from June fifth. It's called Clear Spark. Have you heard this one? Clear Spark, boy. I'll give you a hint. It's for pyrotechnics. Oh, no. Okay. All right. Clear Spark. So I guess a clean sort of burn. But that leads me into the other one, Mm -hmm. which is an entertainment show name. It's called Skymosphere, filed August 27th.
1: Okay. Well, I guess that means that Windows on the World has fallen off the table. Skymosphere. Skymosphere okay now our understanding is that the lagoon show at epcot they're going to pull a jungle book alive at night and then the rivers of light right that there's going to be an interim show
0: the closing of illuminations jim has got to be one of the most confounding things Mm -hmm. that has gone unreported or unannounced by disney in the last couple of months for this Mm -hmm. reason we know that the blog post for the disney parks blog Mm-hmm. announcing the end of Illuminations has been written and updated like three times already. Oh, yeah. We know that the, the post has been written. We know that people were uh, alerted to be on standby to answer questions about it, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't happened. And we, none of us can figure out why. It, it could be the, uh, the thing that you alluded to earlier where mm-hmm. Disney and Universal are playing this sort of waiting game with PR announcements that mm-hmm. everyone's just waiting for somebody to announce, for the other side to announce something before they announce their own thing, that's got to be it, right? We've heard repeatedly
1: that it's windows on the world with the notion that this is the first character-driven show for, a Lagoon show for Epcot, but evidently to fix the physical plant or put the physical plant in place is, is going to be a months-long process and all of the restaurants around World Showcase Lagoon, just like,
0: we cannot not have a show. Right. Yeah, you can't not have a show. So I
1: wonder if Skymosphere, just given the name of it, suggesting that this has little or nothing to do with what may be the dry World Showcase Lagoon at that
0: point. Yeah, exactly. Don't don't look at the water. Look up in the sky. Yeah.
1: (laughs) No, you know, the interesting thing, when I was talking about this work that's supposedly going to be done to World Showcase Lagoon, a friend who loves bass fishing in World Showcase Lagoon was like, well, what are they going to do with the bass? I mean, again, they have this amazing colony. How how do you go bass fishing in World Showcase Lagoon? Actually, you catch those rectangular boats that they do the, the fishing out on... Like the pontoon seas. boats? Yeah, the pontoon boats. They'll it, let you go into they, the World Showcase with it? Yeah, they actually take you under the bridge for the International Gateway. I understand you get on the dock either... At Boardwalk or over at Yacht and Beach Club, I've
0: never heard of this. Jim, go ahead.
1: And you know that early in the morning you will see. I mean, mind you, we're talking early. Like they get on the boat at five, and they are done floating out under the bridge by eight thirty or thereabouts.
0: Oh, okay, so that's why I haven't seen it then, because it's it's, the, it's before the uh, the park is open. Yeah, okay. but yeah, right.
1: evidently the fishing is amazing. How deep is World Showcase Lagoon? I mean, could they take it down to a workable level?
0: It can't be more than like, I'm I'm guessing here, six feet. I mean, it doesn't need to be that deep, right? Some kind cast member at some
1: point will reach out and, and give us the real skinny here. But in order to get this equipment in place for windows on the world.
0: Temporary. Oh, okay. Yeah,
1: right. that they need to, to do some hard physical work in the lagoon, which involves damming off certain sections and that sort of thing. And again, yeah. like I said, you know, just the whole notion of what happens to my bass fishing? So I don't know, but we'll look into it.
0: Speaking of the upcoming construction for whatever replaces illuminations, I think it's fairly well known that the construction permits for a lot of the activity that Disney does is, hold on one second, mm-hmm. is that out now? Yeah. jim Jim literally they just broke the, the illuminations announcement as as we were talking about oh
1: my it. god okay <laughs>
0: <This is laughs> all right illuminations are until the end of summer 2019 interesting so they kicked it wow literally just broke well there, there goes half of that segment but let's just record it now because we're we're talking about it okay. the uh, the funny thing is is that Disney knows that the construction permits for these things are public documents mm-hmm. in order to hide the true intentions and schedule about some of these things. Have you noticed that in the construction permits, they're now putting crazy far-out dates on the completion dates? No, I haven't for the uh, permits. I... So, like the the illuminations ones, the construction around World Showcase Lagoon, the end date is twenty twenty-six. Mm-hmm. Dude, you're just you're trolling us at this point.
1: <laughs> Eight years from now. Jeez, oh, something like that, where you just you put something that far out. It's relatively easy to creep it in, but wow, 2026, really?
0: Yeah, 2026.
1: It would appear that Windows on the World will be the de facto show, you know, when all is said and done. But I I have to say, I'm fascinated by them grabbing that name SkyMosphere, just supposedly because of, you know, what it's going to take to get this show now ready for, uh, wow, a 2019. Jeez, that is just nuts.
0: Yeah, that seems like that's fairly far away, don't you think?
1: Yeah, let's face it. When you measure things in theme park time, two thousand twenty-one, you know the the fiftieth anniversary. If you talk to anybody at the resort, they're already freaked out. It's five minutes away. Yeah. Just between how they're going to staff, what's going to be up and running, how they're going to when they're going to do
0: rehearsals. The announcement, Jim, about the illuminations thing actually has a wow, w o w, tag in it, which my insider says is a shout out to the uh, what it is in the world name.
1: Ah. Okay, there, there we go. go. Okay, so we were right about something. Go
0: figure. All right. Woo. Woo. <laughs> All right, let's take a break real quick. We'll come back and we'll talk about Thunder in Paradise. All right, folks, we'll be right back. And we're back. You know, Jim, it was funny. Uh, you, to prep for this show segment about Thunder in Paradise, had to go back and do research. I went back and looked at old Hulk Hogan interviews. Oh. <laughs> ah, ooh, ooh. Have, you, have you ever seen the the first Hulk Hogan appearance on Johnny Carson? The interesting thing is Johnny
1: looks genuinely unsettled, if I, I remember correctly. He does. Well, first of all, Hulk
0: Hogan is like twice the size yes, yes. of Johnny Carson. <laughs> and Johnny Carson basically says, "Your know, Hulk Hogan comes on, he's like, well, how do you want to do this interview? And, and Carson looks at him and says, looks at Hulk Hogan and says, Basically, any way you want to do this interview is fine with me, sir. <laughs> Johnny's never looked happier to have that much desk between him and the hose. I know it was just classic, and uh, and Hulk Hogan had not yet refined his persona, so he was he was still you know very much getting you're trying to figure out what it was. So he we talked about Hulkamania and stuff like that, but he wasn't the uh, he wasn't the showman yet. It wasn't on you know all the time during the uh, during the Carson episode. It was it was kind of neat to see like how it all. All begin and also they uh, they begin it by playing the um, the clip of Rocky Three, which I haven't seen probably in a few years, so it was worth seeing again. anyway, we know that uh, he goes from this small part in Rocky Three to somehow being the star of his own TV show. Hulk Hogan does. In fact, it's funny that you start off by talking about the Tonight Show
1: because the road to Thunder and Paradise goes straight through NBC and oh. actually starts in the fall of 1991 where Baywatch had just been canceled by NBC and completely understandable. It, during its one season that it ran on, on NBC, the 1989-1990 season, it came in 73rd place out of 103 shows that aired on network television. Eesh. So obviously not a hit, but the star of the show, David Hasselhoff, along with the show's producers, Michael Burke, Douglas Schwartz, and, and Greg Bonin, they felt there was still gas left in the tank. So what they decided to do was reimagine Baywatch as a TV show for the first-run syndication market. Now you have to understand this is this is very early on. This is you know two years out from when Star Trek: The Next Generation came out and sort of blew open the doors to like there's big money here. But the reimagined Baywatch launches September of 1991, becomes this huge hit, especially internationally, because face it, you don't have to translate Pamela Anderson jumping up and down into different languages. It it winds up being watched by thousands of people in the U.S. and 75 other countries. In the end, the show runs for 10 seasons and makes a buttload of money for Hasselhoff, Burke, Schwartz, and Bonin. (laughs) This is
0: like the best legal team ever.
1: (laughs) In 1993, Michael Douglas and Gregory wanted to see if they could make lightning strike twice, if they could set up another second hour-long show for first-run syndication, a show that they could then pitch to the same domestic and international TV stations as their partners who had agreed to to air Baywatch in syndication. And so the idea that they, they came up with, they wanted something that was similar yet different to Baywatch and so, on the surface, Thunder in Paradise is the show about two ex-Navy Seals who become mercenaries to hire, and they use this tropical resort on Florida's Gulf Course as their base of operation. But, just like every Baywatch episode, you've got that tropical resort, which means there's a lot of young women with itty bitty bikinis parading around in the you know the background of the is going on. But, if you're going to create a first-run syndicated show that you want to sell internationally, you need a star and as you mentioned during this time right after hulkamania there was nobody bigger than the six foot six 235 pro wrestler terry hulk hogan and terry who'd done a few films you know at this point the cameo in rocky 3 like you'd mentioned he wasn't adverse to starring in thunder of paradise his only condition was appearing in the show he wanted it to be extremely convenient he didn't want to schlep all the way to hollywood whenever it was time to shoot an episode and given that terry and his family lived in clearwater florida well that's where he wanted to shoot
0: oh i didn't know that he lived in clearwater yes. oh jeez. okay he's like ah, yeah. i don't even go to work i'll be all yeah, by five that's it
1: exactly you know, he wanted them to shoot thunder and paradise in and around tampa and saint pete and that's what they agreed to do or, or at least you know when it came time to shoot the pilot in 1993 but when this first run syndicated show got sold to 107 markets worldwide and then got picked up for series then well that's when Michael Douglas and Gregory had to go to Cherry and say, we have a problem. Tampa St. Pete has no professional television production facilities. And it's one thing to shoot the pilot here, building a production company mostly out of folding chairs and coat hangers. But, you know, if we're going to churn out 20 episodes of this show a season, we're going to need to yeah. relocate to someplace that has professional television f- facilities. And I'm told that Hulk really flipped out about when he got this news because it was like as you mentioned with your Johnny Carson story not a guy you want to get angry
0: yeah if you're gonna make people mad make it smaller there we go there we go mad, so yeah. he thought I gotta go to Hollywood a little strategy answer. and it's like
1: no 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 no, yeah. no 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 no, we're not going to Hollywood look at Disney MGM Studios it's only a hundred miles away from Clearwater and at this point we're five years into Disney World's third gate being open and while it's hugely popular with the public and, and will become even more so in 1994 with the opening of Tower of Terror, the film and production side of Disney and Jim, it, it's seriously lagging at this point. It genuinely embarrassed the managers of Disney World's third theme park that its tourists toured those very expensive to build, glassed in, soundproof corridors that ran along the tops of sound stages one, two, and three. All the backstage tour basically showed you were empty sound stages with nothing going on which is why as soon as they found out that Thunder and Paradise was thinking of changing its base of operations from Tampa to St. Pete, Disney jumps mm-hmm. in. They're desperate to get this thing, so they, they offer ridiculously low terms with the hope that Disney, MGM, would actually come in under Universal Studios, and sure enough, November of 93, Disney learns that Universal is out of the running. But it actually takes an additional financial incentive for the Orange County Commission to get Burke, Schwartz, and Bonin to come over. They, they give them $150,000 to basically cover their product, the cost of moving the production office. And again, this is a card table and a folding chair land yeah. over to Orlando. The deal calls for 20 hour-long episodes, each with a budget of a million dollars, to be shot in and around the Walt Disney World Resort from January 1st to June 1st of 1994. One of the terms of conditions for getting that $150,000 from the Orange County Commissioners was that Hulk Hogan and his co-star on, mm-hmm. on Thunder in Paradise, Chris Lemon, he's the son, by the way, of film legend Jack Lemon, they had to agree to appear in three public service announcements touting the safety of
0: vacationing in Central Florida. Why, that particular topic? That's like a restaurant advertising and it doesn't have rats? It makes you wonder why? Yeah. They chose that particular topic for advertising? This
1: was actually a, a pretty serious, scary time in the Florida tourism market. September of 93, a German couple that was vacationing in Miami.
0: Oh, right. They got killed. Yeah, I remember yeah. this.
1: They were shot, right? And they were targeted to, with the style of robbery known as bump and rob. Back then, most every f- f- rental car that was rented in Florida was white, and you could tell it was a rental car because it actually had, as part of its yeah, license plate,
0: it had, it had a rental rental car. So yeah, like it, it would say it was a rental car on it. It's easy to identify. yeah. So
1: these white rental cars were actually being targeted by folks, and what would happen is you'd get hit from behind, you'd pull over, you know, thinking you just had a car accident, you were going to exchange information, and as you stepped out of the car, you would then get robbed. It Turns out that it's this, this German couple were the seventh and eighth foreign visitors to be killed while vacationing in florida in 1993 and suddenly there's all this negative coverage about is it safe to vacation in florida and the thing that really brought it home that this was a huge story that there was this skit on saturday night live that actually ran on the october 2nd 1993 episode where they, they the late great phil hartman who did one of the most amazing impressions of Michael Eisner? He, Hi, I'm Michael Eisner. And he, <laughs> he stands there with a map of Florida, and it's like, well, look, Florida's a giant state. I mean, you think about it. Miami is basically in southern Florida. Where, where, if you you look at Orlando, I mean, way they up here in in northern Florida? Disney was practically in a whole different state. Just the fact that Saturday Night Live was making jokes about this bump and rob incident two weeks after the tourists were killed tells you a lot about Florida's state of mind. So it was like, it was seriously yeah. no joke as far as the Orange County Commissioners were kids about, let's get word out about that it's Orlando, specifically Orlando, is safe to visit in these public service announcements. Anyway, Thunder Paradise begins shooting January of 1994, and almost immediately, Disney World managers begin to have second thoughts about this show with a lot of the concerns being centered on the Grand Floridian Beach Resort. See, in the pilot, that tropical resort that I mentioned, they had shot it at the Lowe's Don Caesar Hotel at St. Pete. Mm-hmm. In order to have continuity with, with, you know, what the pilot had done, they, they needed another beachfront resort and the Grand Flow was the brand new hotel and they thought, okay, let's showcase this as opposed to the poly. But January... To June, they're shooting all of those Baywatch-esque scenes down by the sand, and there's all these young ladies in their tiny bikinis, And but the problem is that because they have to shoot all these scenes, the people actually paid to stay at the Grand Flo can't get down to the beach. They're constantly being shooed away by production people. And, in fact, I'm told that one of the reasons that the Grand Floridian dropped Beach Resort from its name and, and went with Grand For Litter and Resort and Spa. It was one of the things, if we get the beach out of the name, people will stop obsessing about, it. I need to get down to the beach. That's actually not a bad idea. Yeah. But of course, their beachfront faces onto Seven Seas Lagoon, and the signature vehicle that these two ex-Navy Seals rode in, the Thunder, was this giant souped-up cigarette boat that, again, according to the mythology <laughs> of the show, can go 200 miles an hour 200 miles so an yeah they'd okay. they, they shoot a lot of footage <laughs> that was under cranked <laughs> through the water but it made a ridiculous amount of noise whenever they fired it up and the folks who ran the magic kingdom are like it was so loud it was drowning out
0: the area music in, on main street usa it would drown it a lot it'd be like the uh the speedway you, you know occasionally you could hear the speedway from the magic kingdom. exactly
1: you know same thing and, and it, in fact they're you know, I will tell you that from chatting with the then manager of the Wilderness Lodge, that whenever they did events in the, the raceway, they had to comp a lot of rooms because yeah. of, of noise complaints. And this was also kind of the same issue with Thunder in Paradise. And, and speaking of large noises, you know, the people out in Hoey Hills still talk about how <laughs> when they were shooting a, a terrorist-themed episode, the Thunder in Paradise crew actually blew up the old Hotel Floridian, a seventy year old structure that first they knock holes in the roof, and then they put three hundred gallons of gasoline to drums throughout the building and then blew it up with multiple cameras filming this thing and people could feel the blast <laughs> not just hear it, but feel the blast from miles away. It would be lovely to tell you that mm-hmm. just like Baywatch, this was a monstrous hit right out of the gate. But when episodes actually began airing in syndication in March of 1994, it was great that 155 people had jobs in production on the show yeah. at, at Disney M Studios. Likewise the hundreds of extras, although those young women from Florida in teeny tiny bathing suits, they got paid. The finished product left a lot to be desired. It could. This was a show that couldn't decide what it was. It was basically a live action cartoon that was too silly for action fans. and. And to be honest, it also had too much gratuitous TNA, really, to appeal to family-friendly crowd that, that knew Hulk from his WWF days. So, nah. But on the other hand, if you talk with Disney fans, they have a soft spot in their heart for Thunder in Paradise, largely because if you look past Hulk Hogan and Chris Lemon, you know, as they're pretending to be mercenary, it's for hire, you get to see what the resort looked like 25 years ago. And here's one episode where God help me, Len, it's called... See Quentin as in San Quentin, the, the California prison, only this is a prison that's
0: underwater. An underwater prison? So they
1: shot it at Sea Base Alpha.
0: Oh, did they really? Yeah, so you,
1: you get oh, to see... Gonna, I know
0: what I'm watching on YouTube tonight, Jim.
1: It's the old color scheme, the old look. Whenever they they went to the Middle East, they shot around Morocco. What's kind of funny, I guess at one point in one one of the episodes where they're they're shooting in Morocco, right after the gratuitous camel walks by, you can kind of look over their shoulder and it's like, yeah, they're in the Middle East, so why is the Mexico pavilion in the background? It was was the pyramid doing back there. And sometimes they were genuinely clever how they'd mix things up. There was one episode eight of the series, Changing the Guard, it's set in Europe, so at one point you have the guys drinking in the Rosencrown pub, but then they have to go rescue somebody in a castle, and so which castle do they use? Of course, Cinderella Castle. The one episode, though, that I find a little troubling, plugging back into that whole German tourist being killed thing, episode sure. 19 of Thunder in Paradise, Blastov actually shows Hulk taking his TV daughter to the Magic Kingdom. And we get to watch them ride classic Fantasyland rides like Dumbo the Flying Elephant, the Mad Tea Party, but at one point during the series just to make sure that that check clears from the Orange County Commissioner's Office Hulk actually supposedly turns to his daughter and goes isn't it safe here I really think it's safe no one would ever shoot me here <laughs> maybe I'm getting I'm paraphrasing it wrong but if, if somebody could rewatch watch the episode
0: I, I think the public especially the European traveling public <laughs> nothing, to, nothing to fear brother <laughs>
1: for me I don't know there were just so many weird moments in it I mean yet they picked the oddest settings sometimes for dramatic happenstances. I mean, for example, there was one episode built around the fact that Chris Lemon character was having flashbacks from when he had been a POW. But the way they set it up is that he's touring... The greenhouse in the living with the land section of the, the land pavilion?
0: And it reminds him of Nam? No, he
1: sees his tormentor taking the tour. You know, it's just, oh, hi, good to see you here. <laughs> oh, funny times. I don't know. All right, so anyway, about the same time that that episode is being shot, Hulk and Chris Lemon shoot those public service announcements. This is the spring of 94. And just as production of the first and only season of Thunder in Paradise wraps. And it wasn't until october of 1994 that burke schwartz and bonin decided officially decided to pull the plug on on thunder in paradise i'm told that the ratings reportedly were strong enough especially internationally to warrant the second season but hulk was reportedly tired of making the hundred mile commute from his home in clearwater and that and then sense. when you factor in the folks at the resort were getting tired of dealing with guest complaints at the Grand Floridian.
0: Yeah, it's just no one was happy for what
1: they were yeah, doing. Yeah, and you know, same thing with the noise pollution. So the show basically falls through the cracks. It gets canceled because the star of the show and the principal production facility and primary location didn't want to recur- return the project. And Burke, Schwartz, and Bonin wanted to keep the franchise alive. They, they actually proposed that, well, all right, let's reinvent this as a series of standalone movies for the video premieres, and to keep Hogan happy, these straight-to-video Thunder and Paradise movies oh. would be shot in and around Tampa and St. Pete, just like Terry wanted. But. It, was too little too late at that point. In fact, 20 years later, Hulk Hogan finally gets the sort of TV show that he wants. One that can be shot so close to home, they actually film it inside of his house. Yeah, you can't get much closer than that. Do you remember Hogan Knows Best? Yeah, ran on VH1 for four seasons from July of 2005 through October of 2007. And I was told back in the day that one of the reasons that Disney ultimately wanted the distance itself from Thunder in Paradise was they were uncomfortable with the Walt Disney World Resort being associated with a professional wrestler. They they felt it was somewhat uncouth, something undignified and now we jump ahead 25 years, and here's Dwayne The Rock Johnson.
0: Yeah, doing a uh, Jungle Cruise. Yeah, with he is this <laughs>
1: beloved member of the Disney corporate frimland. Again, you're right. You mentioned the Jungle Cruise movie, which, by the way... Just wrapped
0: uh, Principal principle. did, right? it
1: did. And the mission of that film is to replace the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. There's a belief at the company that Johnny Depp's public persona is just a little too toxic at the moment to continue... With those films. There's hope that five years, ten years down the line they can circle back on them, but to sort of fill that gap in the franchise schedule. Jungle Cruise is totally positioned as the first of a series of movies. For me, it's like, how do you get a series out of The Jungle Cruise? It's like, oh my god, we're trapped in the hippo pool for an hour and a half. Is that even possible? Well, anyway, there is Thunder in Paradise and why we only got the one season of that show, which is beloved by Disney fans who look past Terry and Chris Lemon just to see what the resort used to look like 25 years ago.
0: You know, Jim, the uh, the trend now is to reboot old franchises. I'm just saying it's out there. We know what it is. Al Hogan's still alive. Probably still has show notes somewhere.
1: Okay, break it gently to the folks at the Grand Floridian, okay?
0: <laughs> exactly. Guess what's coming back? More of what you like. All right, folks, you've been listening to the Disney Dish podcast with Jim Hill. Don't forget, we are produced fabulously by Aaron Adams. Please go on to iTunes, Stitcher, or make up a sign for your next WrestleMania trip. Tell us what you would like to hear next on the show. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on that next show.